Renminbi. Renminbi. Yeah, pretty good. Not bad. I didn't say no, something no. totally different. I didn't say I'd like two eggs for breakfast or something. <laughs> Welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm Alex Bloomberg. And I'm David Kestenbaum. Today is Friday, March 19th, and that was our very own Planet Money blogger, Jacob Goldstein, you heard at the top of the podcast with Ying Wu, professor of economics at Salisbury University. Jacob was trying and failing to pronounce the name of the Chinese currency renminbi. So I always get confused. You hear renminbi, you hear yuan, and basically yuan is like dollars. If I say that's going to cost you five yuan, you can open your wallet and look at the yuan. Renminbi is a generic word for Chinese currency. It's as if we had a special word for American money, which we don't, but they do. So that's that's the difference. And we're, why do we bring this up? We're going to be talking all about Chinese currency today and the widespread belief that it is being manipulated and how that maybe means Americans who don't have jobs should be looking not to Congress for help, not to President Obama for help, but to the Chinese central bank. First, Alex, we have our Planet Money Indicator. We are really excited today. Actually, I'm kind of nervous. I am too. <laughs> we have right here on the table an envelope from our small little bank in Kansas City. It is our toxic asset payment for the month. Right. As those of you who've been listening to Planet Money recently know, we became the proud owner of our very own toxic asset. We talked about it on previous podcasts. Part of a huge bond that is rapidly falling apart but still contains some 2,000 home mortgages from around the country. Ten of those mortgages are here in New York, a thousand or so in California. We pooled, we at Planet Money pooled all of our money to put down a thousand dollars to buy this toxic asset. So a lot of the houses are in foreclosure, and when enough of those homes get taken over and liquidated, sold, our bond dies. But in the meantime, we have the envelope here. Every month, as people pay their mortgages, we get a small check in the mail which you have right in your hand there, David. Last month, we got $141.33 return on our payment of $1,000. What is it this month? All right. By the way, we know we put out 1000 and then we're just starting to get money back. It's not like we made $141. Uh, made right, exactly. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, Harborview Mortgage Loan Trust Series Class B6 total for March 19th, 2010, $74.88. That's about half what we got. <laughs> oh, no. All right. So looking at this, um, it seems like there was just less money coming into the bond this month. We'll get the details and post a full explanation uh, on the blog, npr.org slash money. We're going to update the graphic we have that tracks the whole sorted uh, slow destruction of our toxic asset. So, so, but let's just review the numbers here. So how far, so how much have we, 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 we had an initial investment, we put in $1,000 total. How much have we gotten back so far? So far we've gotten back around $407. Including this most recent Yeah, payment. it includes this one. Keep your fingers crossed. <laughs> I think they're, I think we're dead. <laughs> no. I don't think there's any way. Right. The last payment was 140 and now it's 75 Okay, so shall we move on to today's show? Dave, people are going crazy about China. Just one example, Paul Krugman in the New York Times this week wrote a big editorial about how China is manipulating its currency. And the last line of his piece, brace yourselves here, the last line is, it's time to take a stand. And we should be clear, in the matter of international Sino-American currency-related diplomacy, taking a stand would be Timothy Geithner, Treasury Secretary of the United States, calling the Chinese government a bad name. 
manipulator. So Congress is actually considering legislation to punish China for its alleged manipulation. Lawmakers from both sides are really upset and calling for action. And uh, I think you can sum things up by this quote from Tim Ryan, an Ohio Democrat this week. He said, Chinese currency distortion was, quote, putting a lot of Americans out of work. So what's going on here? How are central bankers in China putting Americans out of work? What are people talking about when they talk about Chinese currency manipulation? And why does it seem to matter so much? So we decided to figure out how this all works. And to understand, you have to follow the flow of money between the U.S. and China. And let's pick a starting point. Let's start with a typical American business that buys stuff from China. So, Alex, you talked to one young entrepreneur, Imran Karim. He's in Dallas, Texas, and he has a new business, TrophySkin.com, selling a special lamp that's supposed to cure acne. It emits this special frequency of light, supposed to kill acne bacteria. And he has his lamps made. Where does he have them made? In China. He came up with his business last year. He found a Chinese manufacturer through a website that connects businesses with suppliers called Alibaba.com. He found a manufacturer on this website that he liked. He sent them the designs over email and then the moment of truth. He sent them all his hard-earned money that he was using to start his business. In the case of, of China, the only payment system that I've come across is a wire transfer, which is also the riskiest form of payment. You essentially send them by wire, uh, by international wire transfer, however many thousands of dollars it is that you know, you've agreed upon, and you hope and pray that they come through with uh, exactly what they said they were going to do. So you take you, and and how much was your first order for? Can can you tell me? The initial order was around ten thousand dollars, and it's ten thousand dollars of your own money. That's correct. That you just wired over to over to a Chinese a Chinese manufacturer that you found on the internet. Exactly, exactly. It, uh, it, and then you had it to wait three months. <laughs> and then you had to wait three months to see if they actually um, made the thing that you wanted them to make and didn't That's just take right. the money. So it felt like an act of faith, but this thing, this happens all the time. And that money that he sent to China, that is key to understanding currency manipulation. All those dollars he sends over to Chinese manufacturers. And so let's follow that money. It's following the money that will help us understand currency manipulation. Imram's business has grown. He's now on his sixth order, uh, and he's up to about forty or $50,000 a pop. And so he's sending a good chunk of change in American dollars over to his Chinese suppliers every year. And I asked him, does he have any idea what happens to the money that he sends to China. I do, actually. And this is something that I've spent some time tracing and trying to figure out exactly what does happen to my money and how I can better use that in the future. And uh, what I've found is that uh, generally you'll send the money to a trade company, somebody that you work with on the Chinese end who's fairly fluent in English and also in Chinese and is Chinese-born. And what they will do is then they'll turn around and parcel that money out to different factories that may be in far-flung places across the entire country of China. And uh, these different factories will work on different pieces of your final product. All the pieces will then be shipped to a final assembly warehouse where the workers there have to assemble it and also get paid, and then finally go through a customs clearance process to the, to the uh, export broker and then finally to the shipping company. So that $10,000, they definitely keep a portion of that, but most of the money is parceled out over sometimes 10 or even 20 different companies. So, Dave, we are getting close to the currency manipulation part. Do you think uh, Tim Geithner, the Treasury Secretary, is jealous that we can actually just bust out with that word? We can say currency manipulation without causing an international trade war? I think you're underestimating our influence as a podcast, David. I'm talking to you, Wen Jiabao. I said manipulator. <laughs> manipulator, manipulator, <laughs> manipulator. All right. Enough of the taunts. Okay. So, of course, it's not just acne lamps. What Imran does gets repeated a million times a day 
all over China. We talked to an economist at the Stern School of Business at NYU, Paul Wachtel, and he said, just imagine every day all over China, there are literally billions of dollars coming from American businesses into the accounts of these Chinese factories. Those Chinese factories need to buy electricity. They need to pay their labor. They need to buy some imports in the the Chinese markets. They've got to pay for transportation, etc., etc., etc. But if they're operating, obviously, in the Chinese economy, they need to do it with the local currency. Right. So they take those dollars to the banks that they work with, and they buy Chinese currency. And this, of course, is a key moment in the manipulation story. How do you turn those dollars into the Chinese currency, renminbi? Now, ordinarily, if we had a competitive market and there's this enormous demand for Chinese currency, well, you don't have to be an economist to sort of speculate what would happen. Right. The price of the Chinese currency would go up. The renminbi would appreciate relative to the dollar and other foreign currencies. So let's let's just spell that out a little bit. All these dollars, billions and billions of them, are flowing into Chinese factories every day. And that, he's saying, should be pushing up the value of the yuan. So you can think about that. You've got all these Chinese people, businessmen, workers with dollars, and they need to convert them into yuan. And everyone's saying, so everyone's saying, I need yuan, I need yuan. But there's a fixed supply of the Chinese currency out there. So that means it's going to cost more dollars to buy a yuan. In economist speak, the yuan appreciates against the dollar, all because the supply of yuan is constant. They're fixed amount out there and everyone wants them. Except that there isn't a fixed amount out there. What do you mean? Someone is increasing the supply of yuan, and this is where the manipulation comes in. Who's doing the manipulating? There's only one place that has the power to increase the supply of yuan. And that's the central bank of China. Uh So whenever it sees the value of the currency beginning to rise, they're ready and willing to supply from the to make sure the price doesn't increase, that the value of the currency does not go up. And they do that by literally crediting banks? Yes. So so in a sense, they're giving bank deposits uh, in renminbi in exchange for bank deposits in dollars. So then the question becomes, why is the central bank doing this? Why do they want to keep their currency undervalued relative to some foreign currency like dollars? And the answer is, of course, it makes their exports more attractive. It makes it cheaper for people here in the U.S., you and me, Dave, and all over the world, actually, to buy things made in China. It helps keep Chinese goods cheap. And Imran Karim, the entrepreneur, says things are a lot cheaper to make in China. Yeah, I would say it's probably about a tenth to a twentieth uh, of the cost to to manufacture in China versus in the United States. Wow. So, so yeah, ten just to from twenty times product, more expensive here. Exactly, exactly. Just from a product standpoint itself, I mean, there is a very big difference. So obviously, Alex, labor is cheaper in China, but currency manipulation arguably is part of why things are cheaper to make there, and why you're hearing right now. People say things like, that's not fair. China is manipulating its currency. And it's just cowards like Timothy Geithner who are just too afraid to come out and say it. And the argument goes, if China stopped manipulating its currency, some jobs that are done in China now would come back to America or would flow to other countries uh, because those Chinese acne lamps and Chinese-made shirts, all those things would start costing more 
as the yuan appreciates and so other countries would become more competitive. Some economists will tell you that Chinese currency manipulation costs two to three million American jobs a year. But others don't buy that number about U.S. jobs. They say, look, as Imran Karim pointed out with the acne lamps, it costs a dollar to make something in China and maybe $20 to make the same thing here in America. So let's say the yuan did appreciate by, say, 30 percent. That gap would still be gigantic. OK, it's going to cost instead of a dollar to make something in China, a dollar thirty. It's still 20 bucks to make it here in the United States. Here's economist Paul Wachtel. America is always going to be a high price a high-priced place for manufacturing. Mm-hmm. So the kinds of manufacturing that was done in this country a gener- generations ago would have moved to low-cost places anyway. So I wouldn't argue that this Chinese uh, currency policy is robbing textile jobs from the American South. Uh, the changing face of world manufacturing would have taken place and is taking place despite the Chinese um, the Chinese uh, you know, currency policy. But Paul Wachtel sees problems with the Chinese currency policy as well, just like Paul Krugman and all the other people who've been making noise about how we have to get tougher on China. But he's worried about Chinese policy for different reasons than they are. And the reason is basically that keeping you on cheap relative to the dollar – means that things we make here in the United States, they look expensive if you're trying to buy them in China. So America makes cars, for instance, and as a result, those cars are more expensive in China than they would be. It's basically, he says, like China is slapping an import tax on everything made in the United States. So for Professor Wachtel, he doesn't care about replacing the jobs that we were going to lose anyway, but he is concerned about creating jobs in the future, making stuff to sell to China. If the American economy is going to recover... Uh, it needs to find sources of demand for American goods. And, and, and that would happen easier if Chinese people were, um, had more buying power for, yeah, for exactly. American goods. So exactly. If- so China should be importing more and consuming more, which would increase exports from developed countries like the United States and lead to robust growth evenly around the world. So what Paul Wachtel is saying here, it's not just about the U.S. and China. China keeping its currency undervalued, that's hurting all the other economies in the world. And it's making it harder for everybody to climb out of this recession. Since they're all producing stuff, it'd be nice to sell to China. And there are some countries like Haiti, for example, that do compete directly with China. And they would love a share of those cheap manufacturing jobs that China is clinging to by keeping its currency devalued. So... Should Tim Geithner label China a manipulator? Well, it's actually tricky. First of all, there's no agreed-upon definition of what it means to manipulate your currency. After all, there's lots of reasons for a country's central bank to pump money into the economy. As a matter of fact, our central bank is doing the exact same thing right now. It created roughly a trillion new dollars over the last year and a half. And almost certainly that is keeping the value of our dollar lower than it would otherwise have been. But I I think, you know, Ben Bernanke over at the Fed would say, but that's not why we did it. We did it to save the global financial system. So when it comes to currency manipulation, you know, intent matters and intent is hard to prove. But, But there's a second problem with calling China manipulator which is that no one can really agree that its currency is actually being manipulated. Because the Chinese, of course, say it isn't. And you know who agrees with them? 
Goldman Sachs. Their chief economist, Jim O'Neill, recently said he thought the yuan was priced pretty much right. And even economists in the United States who do think it's undervalued, they can't agree on how much they think it's undervalued by. And finally, a lot of people worry that if we did take action and come right out and call China a manipulator, it would be a pretty big deal. I looked at the most recent Treasury report to Congress, this biannual report where it decides whether to add China to the list of countries that manipulate their currencies or not. And do you know how many other countries are on the list of manipulators? No, how many? None. None? <laughs> we don't label any of our trading partners manipulators. So singling out China, that would be a pretty big diplomatic deal, and it might backfire. China might impose import restrictions on the U.S. in retaliation, and that would certainly hurt our economic recovery because we do export some things to China. So people who oppose this step oppose it because the risks aren't worth the benefits in their view. And a lot of people point out that eventually this situation, even if you don't try and do anything about it now, it will the problem will solve itself. That is the thing about trying to manipulate the value of your currency. It is hard and fraught with danger. Um, I was actually just in Jamaica recently, and they went through a big round of trying to artificially peg the value of their currency in the 70s and 80s, and it caused all kinds of problems there. And there are signs that it's causing problems in China as well. I mean, one thing that happens if you try to keep your currency low by flooding the system with money you flood the system with money, you create inflation, right? You can't just do that for free. Add to that, keeping the currency undervalued makes it more expensive for the average Chinese person to buy stuff from abroad. iPhones and polo shirts and Mercedes-Benzes all cost more for people in China. So here's all this new money. It's all got to go somewhere. And it's all focused on domestic goods, which can't be imported. For example, real estate. There's been lots of discussion in recent months of a property boom in China very rapid increases in the value of property, particularly in the big cities, right. with a, uh, lots and lots of lending to borrow, to do lots of lots of borrowing to buy property, speculation in, in property, overbuilding of both apartments and office buildings, uh, leading to the possibility that of a real estate crash in the Chinese economy. Alex, that's ridiculous. Real estate values, they only go up. Well, we know that here, but they might not know it in China. <laughs> so, so, so anyway, that's the problem. They, the Chinese can't keep flooding the system with money without runaway inflation and asset bubbles all over the place. And they can't keep their currency undervalued without flooding the system with money. So something has to give. And, and in fact, there are signs that China knows this is a problem. In the years before the, this financial crisis, the renminbi, the yuan, was actually slowly appreciating. And Imran Karim, the entrepreneur, says that very recently, his Chinese supplier said he needed to raise his prices on acne lights. So, Alex, there are some people who think it's really not worth it to antagonize the Chinese. And other people say, no, no, let's antagonize the Chinese. Let's use the M-word, manipulator. And in fact, Treasury Secretary Tim Geithner has used the M-word, but it was before he was actually Treasury Secretary when he was at his confirmation hearing. Now that he's Treasury Secretary, he hasn't used it publicly. On April 15th, we will find out how far Timothy Geithner is willing to go. April 15th is not just the day that our taxes are due. It is also the day that Timothy Geithner's list of countries that are manipulating their currency is due to Congress. Um, that is the day he's going to declare which countries the U.S. considers currency manipulators. And we will see if he will add China to that list that is currently at zero countries. All right, we'll be watching that, and we're going to be digging through our new 50-page trustee report for Dizzy, the toxic asset. Dave, you know, I wanted to call her Toxie. Totally suits her personality. We actually have not been able to agree upon a name, shouting to each other over the cubicles here for our new pet. So uh, many of you wrote in to suggest great names that we all we all liked, so many that we don't know how to choose. They are all great. So we asked a few of you to call in and tell us why you picked your name. 
You can listen. Here are a few. This is Dick Watson in South Carolina. I think you should call your toxic asset Old Yeller because it is one sick puppy. Hi, my name is Michael Gray, and I think the perfect name for your toxic asset is Kenny. First off, it would be a great tip of the hat to the writer of Danger Zone, one Mr. Kenny Loggins. But even better, when your Kenny finally dies, it would be podcast gold to be able to say, they killed Kenny, and maybe even sneak in some sound clips from South Park. Any podcast with South Park references has to be a winner. My name is Doug Vanderweide. I'm from Augusta, Maine. If the song for your asset is Highway to the Danger Zone, then of course you have to name it Maverick after Tom Cruise's character in Top Gun. It's appropriate, too. Maverick was a loose cannon, chasing the hot dog reputation of his long-deceased father. He broke all the rules. He ignored his experienced and professional instructors. He ran the ire of Iceman, the traditional professional pilot who doesn't like uh, Maverick's fast and loose flying. And Maverick didn't care about the consequences until it cost him his best friend, Goose. We Can we just say we love you guys? Thank you so much for <laughs> yes, all your exactly. awesome suggestions and for calling in with them. Yeah, thanks to everyone who wrote in with name suggestions. We're going to run a poll on the blog today with some of these and a few of our favorites. Go to npr.org slash money to vote for your favorite name for our toxic asset. Have your voice heard and help us with our toxic pet, npr.org slash money. As always, you can write to us with your thoughts, questions, concerns at planetmoney at npr.org. I'm David Kestenbaum. And I'm Alex Bloomberg. Thank you for listening. I could